from KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked. Our podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. I'm News Director Tyler Pratt. Coming up on today's show, farmers, ranchers, and even the state face a lot of outside pressure to sell land. From the allure of early retirement to turning a huge profit and even the high price of hay. We could sell it for 10000 an acre, if not more, probably more. But I don't want to sell it. And later, musician Aaron Davis stops by the KHOL studios to share how a serendipitous gift can turn into unexpected art. Here, this guy gives me this hat on the spot. So I was like, well, I got to write a song for this guy. These stories and more coming up on Jackson Unpacked. Thanks for joining us today. If you live in Northwestern Wyoming, you've probably heard about the Kelly Parcel. Hundreds of acres of state land with soaring views of the Tetons in a wildlife migration corridor could go to public auction, sold off to the highest bidder, and possibly a developer who may turn the land into a luxury home destination. But locals and conservationists have been fighting back against the proposed sale. KHOL's Hannah Mersbach dives into the battle to try and keep this part of Wyoming wild. At the crest of a small hill covered in sagebrush next to a cluster of leafless aspens, Beverly Boynton walks along a narrow dirt trail, a few miles from the sparsely populated town of Kelly, where she's lived for over 25 years. You can see the Tetons from Mount Moran and all the way down to Glory Bowl. She's among many residents in Teton County and across the state who want to see the Kelly parcel permanently protected. It's surrounded by Grand Teton National Park, the Grovant Range, and National Elk Refuge. We're standing on path of the pronghorn right now. This is part of the migration route, not only for pronghorn, but mule deer, elk. Those animals cross through the land to get to their summer ranges. It's also a core area for the near-threatened sage-grouse, and it's valued at about $62 million. This one-mile square piece of land is smack dab in the middle of an enormous amount of public land. The Department of Interior has attempted to work with the state for more than a decade with no success to acquire the Kelly parcel and make it part of Grand Teton National Park. It's been able to secure the land around it, but not those 640 acres. So, a couple of years ago, state officials proposed, quote, disposing it. Disposal is the key word, land disposal. This land cannot be disposed of. Wilderness is now a necessity. That's another Kelly resident, Sunny Hoover, speaking at a recent meeting about the parcel, where more than 100 people showed up to oppose the sale. She, Boynton, and many others are calling for the land to be added to the national park. We are part of this land. Please keep the Kelly parcel piled Stop the auction! Stop the auction! Earlier in November, dozens of protesters took to Jackson Town Square on a rainy afternoon, holding signs next to the lit-up arch of elk antlers. Stop the auction! Forest Service employee Henry Sollett held a sign saying Wyoming's worst idea. He says an auction is too risky in a place with global demand for real estate. We don't need more homes to be built 
to be purchased and sit empty that demand services for people we can't house in this town, all at the cost of the environment that we cherish here. A land appraisal from last year suggested developers may be interested in that it could hold up to 18 homes on 35-acre lots. And there's a benefit to Wyoming if the state trust land is sold through auction. Any profit it makes will go to public schools. I value education. I want this funding to like pay for our schools and our public schools. But at the same time, at what cost, and especially the cost of this parcel. Porcupine, Herman, Martin, Great Beret, Great Horn, Coyote, Fox, Skunk, Ponghorn, Cougars, Wolves. I could go on. And these critters are going to be the true losers if this land is sold and subdivided. That's conservationist Kevin Krasno speaking at the public meeting a few days later at the Teton County Library, where people spilled into the hallways. He was joined by Chip Jenkins, the superintendent of Grand Teton National Park. We are really concerned about inappropriate development. Dressed in his emerald green ranger uniform, he shared how recreators, hunters, and wildlife all use the land. They care about deer. There are parts of the deer herd from the Wind River Reservation that goes through the Kelly Parcel, where they come here to the valley to get back, uh, to head back for the winter. He said the other nearby parcels acquired by the Park Service in recent years have also been able to generate revenue for schools. And he's ready to work with the state legislature to preserve the land if they're willing. Together we have done this before. Together we can do this again. We look forward to working to make that happen. But first, an executive board made up of top state officials will ultimately have the last word on the auction at an early December meeting. And it may not even have the votes to move forward with the plan. Three out of the five members, like Secretary of State Chuck Gray, say they have concerns. This is a priceless piece of property. And I, I just think it's it's the wrong move for the people of the state of Wyoming for uh, this to be to be sold. The land manager in charge of the proposed sale has also said not many people are supporting sending it to auction. But residents still have time to send their thoughts on the future of the lot to the Office of State Lands and Investments through the start of December. I emailed about 50 friends to remind them that they need to comment. Back on the Kelly parcel, Beverly Boynton points her binoculars to zoom in on two soaring birds flying overhead. To plunk a development in the middle of the vast public lands, that, that would be such a scar and such a wrong move. She says she can only imagine what the area looks like other times of the year, with pronghorn, elk, and mule deer pouring out of the surrounding hills and sage-grouse finding shelter in the brush. Hannah Mersbach, K-12 News. You're listening to Jackson Unpacked. Another story now in a similar vein. Our region is losing millions of acres of agricultural land to development, and those trends may continue as land prices keep rising. The Mountain West News Bureau's Will Walkie reports some ranchers who could make a fortune by selling are choosing not to. Shalise Harrison is driving around Wapiti, a small town on the doorstep of Yellowstone National Park. Several home construction sites and for sale signs line the highway. This area right here used to be just one or two big ranches, and now they've split up into 20-acre parcels or less, and they're building these mansions. 
Property values in this county jumped 16% last year and 24% the year before that. Like a lot of housing markets in the West, demand is outpacing supply. Harrison says rapid growth can affect the community in many ways, from changing the culture, to boosting property taxes, to shifting wildlife migration. You have fences, you have noise, like we're driving down this road right now. And there is a certain tolerance that animals can can handle, but in general, like what you're doing is changing a landscape to a different type of use. Harrison is with the Western Landowners Alliance, which supports working farms and ranches. She says there's a lot of value in maintaining open landscapes. But working lands are disappearing. Last year, Wyoming lost half a million acres of farmland, and about 7 million acres were lost in the Mountain West over the past decade. Priscilla Bell is sipping coffee next to cattle corrals at her ranch near Wapiti. She says very few people can make a living only through agriculture here, in part because it's hard work. Most of our vehicles have close to 300,000 miles on them. I, that doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would like to have more money just because. I'd like to know what that felt like once, but it is what it is. How does the ranch feel the pressure? Mostly the high price of gas, equipment, and hay, says her husband, Matt Bell. You've got to be able to keep up with the prices. And right now, our, we just don't get enough for our what we sell. But they still want to keep working, even though they could easily retire if they sold their land to a corporation or developer. Yeah, we could sell this whole, this 70 acres over here, and then have somebody come in there wants to subdivide it. And we could sell it for 10000 an acre, if not more, probably more. But I don't want to sell it. Why not? I don't <laughs> want to see more houses. Because we don't want to be a hypocrite. <laughs> we don't want to cuss the damn development and then turn around and sell. And do it. And then, but... You know, I, I see why people are doing it, mm-hmm. because That's they, they get tired of the battle, because it's a constant battle. So the Bells want to make sure the land doesn't get subdivided. They've considered conservation easements or trusts. Also, they don't have any kids, so they plan to pass the land down to someone who works for them, and who also dislikes development. For ranchers and farmers and other families, that process can get complicated. Jack Cobb ranches in a town called Savory near the Colorado border. It has about 34 residents. Cobb's property is on its seventh generation, which means there are a lot of relatives and not everyone likes raising cows. These situations can end up in lawsuits, especially when the land is worth tens of millions of dollars. Because we always talked about the three-generational rule. I mean, the first one builds it, the second one kind of builds it a little bit better, the third one comes along, has no idea what it took to build it, and then they lose it. Cobb's whole family sat down a few years ago to talk about what to do, and everybody wanted the same thing, to create a dynasty trust, meaning nobody can break off and sell. Everybody gave up their right to cash out, and that kept the land intact. Most of Cobb's relatives still live in town. He says keeping the land and family together is priceless. I'm down at my nephew's birthday party, and everybody's there, and I told my wife and my kids, I said, put a price on this. You don't have enough zeros behind that dollar to take this away. For other ranchers, the right financial decision might be to sell to the highest bidder. But some landowners are staying put, maybe because of stubbornness or for the love of their neighbors and families, or maybe because they don't know of another way to live their lives. For Wyoming Public Radio News, I'm Will Walkie. <laughs>
Thanks for tuning in to Jackson Unpacked. Hoback-based Aaron Davis is a multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, and vocalist that has long been an essential force in both the local community and the larger Americana Roots music scene in Wyoming. Davis helms an eclectic quartet called Aaron Davis and the Mystery Machine and is releasing his fifth solo EP, Medicine, that's a mix of alt-country, slide blues, and funky roots rock. Davis stopped by the KHOL studios to sit down with music director Jack Catlin and play a song inspired by an unexpected gift. Let's get into a song, if you don't mind. You got your guitar ready? Yeah. Um, It's called Medicine Lid. You've said it touches on the human spirit, situational happenstance, and the kindness of strangers. Can you tell us about the story behind this one? This is a story that was gifted to me, I feel like, on Town Square. I had some friends in town, and we were bouncing around to some shops downtown, and I walked into a hat shop. I saw this ripped-up hat sitting over in the repair area and I asked about it and um, long story short the owner comes out and he said nobody's asked about this hat before it's just been kind of sitting off to the side and ended up being his old friend's hat who had dropped it off for repair but unfortunately his friend had passed away and this was I had no idea that this was the case and he's like if you're interested in, in that hat you should try it on so I tried it on and he said, you know, this is a close friend of mine and a special guy to the shop. And he's like, he's a fly fisherman and he's from Montana. And he's like, if it fits you, I only have one ask. And that would be if, if you would fly fish in that hat. And I was like, I, that's my favorite thing to do in my free time. And so I had this moment with this guy that I didn't know and connected to really close friend of his. And here this guy gives me this hat on the spot. And uh, it just kind of was one of those circumstance coincidental things that just lined up in such a way so i was like well i gotta write a song for this guy it's my goal to walk back into that shop and uh hand this tune yeah definitely all right well let's let's hear it here on khol this is aaron davis performing medicine lid Out of view, the panoramic forces 
lead one to zoom beyond the peripheral and into the bloom. Hats are a shade, just like a shoe. Sometimes a beard, sometimes they walk to you. This one I wear not for the color it brings, but what it stands for and how it makes me sing. It gives me cold chills With all, all of the feels Not for me, not for him But for the medicine live And those cold yeah, those cold chills. You're listening to Hoback bass musician Aaron Davis in the KHL studios. His new EP, Medicine, is out now. Jackson Unpacked is generously sponsored by the Snake River Sporting Club. At nearly 1,000 acres, this private western community accesses the Snake River and Bridger-Teton National Forest, not to mention a golf course, equestrian center, and fully functioning ranch. More information about excursions, amenities, and lifestyle at snakeriversportingclub.com. The character of a cat is a greedy horse. All the fortune lies beneath the fold. Sir, it's an honor. And it covers my fuzz Raise a glass to that natural buzz it gives If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL, where we showcase reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every other Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Feels not for me, not for him before the medicine and those cold, yeah, those cold chills. Yeah, those cold. Welcome back to the show. I'm Tyler Pratt. In her new book, True West Myth and Mending on the Far Side of Americana, author and historian Betsy Gaines Quaman examines the museum of myth that the American West has grown up in. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Julia Caulfield brings us this report. Betsy Gaines Quammen moved to the West with the myth of wilderness. I moved to Colorado when I was uh, 18 years old because I wanted to be in the mountains. Quammen is a historian and writer. In her new book, True West, Myth and Mending on the Far Side of America, she examines what she calls the museum of myth that the American West has grown up in. I had the myth of kind of wilderness, which we now know, you know, um, th- this idea that wilderness was kind of an untouched and untrammeled um, place is just not true. I mean, it, we've had, you know, um, indigenous people live in, quote unquote, wilderness areas since time and memorial. True West follows as a companion piece for her 2020 book, looking at religious conservatism and fights for public lands. In part, addressing changes from the pandemic, Quammen says she had two driving forces behind her inquiry. I wanted to look at the various mythologies that motivate 
people both living in the West and people moving to the West and how they see the land through these mythologies, whether it's the cowboy myth or uh, the idea that the West is hale and hearty and healthy. Um, like we saw so many people coming West during COVID because somehow it was healthier. We saw people deciding after watching the show Yellowstone, which became unbelievably popular during COVID, that they would just, just pull up stakes and move West and create a ranching lifestyle that had very little to do with the reality of the West. Second, she wanted to look at people who moved west to create like-minded communities. People moving west, particularly in Mon- Montana and Idaho, um, to create homelands or front lines, this Christian nationalist movement that, that really focused on the Idaho panhandle in western Montana, where people were coming to create these communities of like-minded people and um, await a big event, whether it was a religious event or whether it's impending civil war. Kwaman will be in Telluride this week as part of the Wilkinson Public Library's Authors Uncovered series. I think we need to acknowledge the fact that as humans, we live among myths. We are a myth-making species. And so we do have myths that are foundational to the way that we see things. But um, what happened, I believe, during pandemic and during this period of political polarization, which, which we've been seeing over the last several years, is that we began to live in a, an environment of toxic myths. Over the course of her book, Kwaman spoke with over 100 people, finding their myths and realities in the West. From um, you know, one of two black men living in a tiny town in Montana to um, a queer bookstore owners and how they became this really important uh, community um, touchstone and center for kids during COVID um, to a rancher in eastern Montana who's tremendously uh, conservative. Kwame notes the concept of myth isn't inherently wrong. It's how we engage with them. I think what is best is for us to understand our myths and then to be able to unpack them. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, that um, myths, myths are important, but I also think that uh, conversation around myths or unexamined myths are really, they can be dangerous. Uh, and, and, and so it is really important for us to, to be in dialogue, to challenge our myths, and to, um, and to sort of understand where they come from. For KOTO and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Julia Caulfield. This story was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including KHOL. Before we go today, affordable housing in ski towns and resort communities like Jackson is a major issue. This is especially true for workers who are the engine of the industries, but often struggle to find somewhere to live. The Aspen Ski Company has almost 900 beds in their own employee housing inventory, mostly for seasonal workers. But in the peak season, SkiCo has thousands of employees. They can't all fit in that housing, so a lot of them struggle to find affordable places on the free market. So a couple of years ago, the company started something new called Tenants 
returns. Landlords who rent to an employee with certain parameters can get big incentives like a free season pass, a bundle of lift tickets, or a gift certificate worth $1,500. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Aspen Public Radio's Kaya Williams spoke with one landlord, Sarah Cole, and her tenant, ski instructor Dylan Atencio, about their experience with the program. My name's Sarah, and I am the landlord. I have a house in Basalt. My name is Dylan. I do have my own unit, but I'm living in Sarah's house. It's been almost a year since he moved in. He's extended through the whole, this next winter season. And, you know, it's just like a familiar face. We don't interact a ton. He has his own entrance. I have my own entrance. But especially in the summer coming and going, we can chat a little bit in the yard. Or there's been times where he's helped watch my boyfriend's dog when we're out of town. Or like it's become like a really nice uh, relationship beyond just like, you know, tenant, landlord. Also, sometimes it is a little bit more like domestic life because she has two young daughters. And actually, when I, when I first met them, your, her youngest, like, she, she wouldn't even look at me. I think she was, like, hiding. And, yeah, like, she, she wouldn't, she wouldn't even say hi. Yeah. And now, like, every time I walk past the window toward my entrance and she's there, she'll just run over to the window and just slam herself against the glass. <laughs> to, in, it's, so it's, it's, Yeah, no, they get excited to see her car fault. They're like, Dylan's here. I'm like, cool. <laughs> No, it, yeah, no, it's nice. It feels yeah, a little more, I guess, immersive than just finding some bedroom somewhere in a random apartment complex somewhere. For me, it's been really cool to see because I think a lot of people come to the Valley for the winter. But I remember like telling Dylan, too, I'm like, oh. No, the winter's great, but trust me, you're going to love the summer. And actually also spring and fall are great. And, you know, it's like really fun to see when people see the full scope of things that the Valley has to offer, not only different jobs, but just the changing season. So it was fun to have Dylan extend his lease. And, you know, now he works for like a local gym that opened Ajax Fitness and he's training and he's like becoming a more... I mean, it's almost like I'm proud. I'm like, oh, Dylan, he's like growing into a full like Aspenite. valley. Yeah, yeah, full Aspenite. He's not just the one season ski instructor. It's it's cool to see you actually like integrating into yeah, just thanks. like a member of the valley. That. Yeah. Well, also, I didn't find the gym that I work at now if it wasn't for living with in Sarah's house because I found it through her boyfriend. I mean, I would say if you're looking into this program, you know, there's no harm in at least reaching out to have a conversation at minimum um, and seeing if it's a good fit. But also if, if like the opportunities that come with it are, are pretty great and it's a very good way to get your foot in the door in like a, probably a little more of a meaningful way than just living with other seasonal employees surrounding you and actually being much more immersed in the community. The hardest thing of moving here is to find the housing in the first place. I know for me, like, it feels good to help out with this sort of crushing, like, housing problem that we have in this valley. And as someone who also works in the outdoor and ski industry, like, I know that that's definitely a something that we have to be aware of in any ski town. Like, we, we have to have people that can work here and live here to keep it all moving. And then the unexpected benefits of, yeah, you might meet a friend or, you know, just help out young people coming in, breaking into the valley and then get to see them. You know, maybe they do only stay for a season or maybe they continue and they find another job and they kind of integrate into the valley. So there is kind of that altruistic feeling. It feels good to help people. And it also feels great to get your premier pass paid for. 
That was landlord Sarah Cole and tenant Dylan Atencio about their experience in the Tenants for Turns program in Aspen. That's it today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is performed by the local band Strumbucket. I'm Tyler Pratt, and this is KHOL Jackson. Jackson.